The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Thank you, Don. You're probably not used to seeing me sitting up here. Uh, last week, uh, Gil asked me if I would speak tonight. And it's been a while since I've given a talk, uh, several years. And um, what's that? Oh, it's not coming out of the speakers? Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. Well, so last week I was inspired by two talks that I heard. One was the one that uh, Gil gave last Monday night in which he talked about how there's an interconnection or a, um, I'll say even equivalency between ethics leading a life that's... um, harmless and beneficial and enlightenment that those two go hand in hand that this enlightenment this uh, state of being experiencing freedom from the um, forces of greed delusion and hatred that can act within us and that can lead to this phenomenon that we call dukkha. Dukkha is a Pali word that um, points to a a much, a very broad range of experience and phenomenon that we can, that we can have that's sometimes translated as suffering, but is also uh, uh, stress or uh, strain Uh, contraction, uh, unease. Uh, One friend of mine translates it as bummerness. Duke is kind of the bummerness of life, you know, that it's, that we don't always get what we want. Or if we, even if we get what we want, we can't hold on to it. Or we get what we don't want and we try pushing it away, but it doesn't go away. It's, It's there. So, so in a way, I, I like to think of enlightenment as ha- those moments when we're not caught by dukkha, that we have a certain sense of uh, ease and freedom, joy, peace. Uh, and so, so ethics can both be a uh, a support for developing this this um, state of enlightenment and it can also be a result of the this freedom the other talk that i it, it, well okay and i should say i often think of of ethics as kind of outer work how we're relating to other beings, uh, other people in particular. Uh, there's there's an in, inward component to it as well, but I think I think of it primarily as as doing the out 
outer work. The day before Gil's talk, I heard a talk by a Tibetan teacher, Anam Tubtin. He was also talking about enlightenment and the joy that he feels from, that comes from that. And he also pointed to there being a um, deep-seated resistance to enlightenment. We think that we want it, we, you know, we want to go for it, it sounds like great, and yet there seems to be something deep inside that seems to resist having that experience, resist those moments. And so his um, suggestion was that we become explorers of the psyche to go inside and look at the um, what did he had great words for this our emotional baggage you know our hang ups uh, our phobias and neuroses our shadows our beliefs you know all of those things inside those processes those memories those stories that often go unexamined and that can be the cause of this deep-seated resistance to enlightenment. So Anam Tubtin's talk really made me think about how in some ways there's this inner work to be done, this work of uh, inner exploration of the psyche. What's going on in there? You know, can can we um, can we explore it? Can we explore it in a way that it feels safe for it to show itself to us? So those are the kind of the two talks that have motivated me over the last week. Is both doing this inner work, looking, looking at what's going on inside in the psyche, and also kind of this outer work of how are we relating to other people? How are we, what are our intentions? What are, what are the effects of our words and our actions? So that's a pretty big task. I mean, that doesn't leave anything uh, that doesn't need to be explored, right? The inner world and the outer world, there's an anything else so um, so it's a tall order when I first came to IMC we were in Palo Alto at the time I came in and I sat in the back of the room and I did transcendental meditation because I didn't know anything else and I heard Gil give a talk about the Four Noble Truths, and about suffering. And then he was talking about this, this um, oh, unsatisfactoriness of experience. And not only that it was important to look at, that, it was, that there was value in paying attention to it, but that there was also a cause for it that we could see there was the possibility of an end to it. Uh, 
and that there was a path leading to the end of suffering. And when I heard that talk that first night, um, it was, uh, you know, I was um, blown away. And I walked out into the night sort of in a, I'll say almost kind of like an altered state. Just like, wow, that's so obvious. And I never heard it described that way. It's, you know, it's just, it was so simple and yet so um, so out there. One of the things that I liked about IMC at that time, my experience, was that um, I could just come in, I could sit, I could meditate, I could listen to these wonderful talks, and then wander off into the night, kind of transfixed, and not have to talk to anyone. You know, not have to like, you know, kind of engage in niceties and try to present a certain persona of what I imagined a good Buddhist looked like or talked like or interacted like. So my initial uh, experience of Buddhism was that it really was going to be a, um, a one-man job. You know, it was like, it was my suffering and it was my, my work, you know, my, my journey to, to, um, to understand it. And in a certain way, that's, I still think that's true. I mean, nobody else can have the, in, the intention to wake up. For you, that no one else can have the intention for you to wake up. You know, you, you need to do the meditation. You need to develop the mindfulness, the, the, the awareness, the, the clarity, clear comprehension, unification, uh, loving kindness. You know, all of these things, you can't contract out. You can't hire somebody to do it for you while you go on vacation. You know, it's... There, there is that element of it being um, up to you. But there's also a very crucial and important role for other people. I didn't think about it when I first started meditating and coming to IMC was that I had a friend who would call me every Tuesday morning and ask me, well, what did you hear? What did Gil say, you know? And, and I would explain to her what I thought I heard. I mean, I can't say that it was accurate. And it was certainly a synopsis of a 45-minute talk. But, but I had somebody that would ask me about it. And I realized there was a, just a great value in that, in reiterating what I had heard, because it helped clarify what I had heard, it also raised questions about what I had heard. And I suspect it also helped move some of this from my short-term memory into mid- and long-term memory. So there was a, you know, just, just synopsizing what I had heard the night before to, to someone else uh, had a positive effect. 
I still do that sometimes, same person. Um, I don't know why she doesn't come here and listen herself, but <laughs> it's beneficial for me, and I think it's beneficial for her. Uh, the second week that I came to IMC, I decided, well, maybe I'll learn mindfulness meditation. And there just happened to be a one-hour course. And I took it, and it was by this woman, Margaret. And she was probably the sweetest, kindest, most beautiful soul I had ever met. I mean, I just, you know, had a little crush on her. Um, but she she exemplified qualities that I really found uh, beautiful. And I remember having the thought that if this woman is the product of this practice, I've come to the right place. You know, this, this really is... Um, This is an extraordinary practice. Um, Later, uh, I had somebody come up and just say, well, so at first I liked not having to socialize, not having to talk, and I liked that I could just walk out into the night. After a few months, I noticed when I would talk to friends of mine about what I was hearing, um... There wasn't much resonance, you know. You know, they would, they would listen. They, oh, great, Jim. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, but great, you know. Um, so then I started to have a greater desire to be able to find people to talk to about practice, about this path, about my uh, intentions and aspirations. And so somebody uh, just came up to me one night and said, Jim, how would you like to go and have coffee before the sitting each, each Monday and talk about the Dharma? So in some ways, this, that woman, uh, Elizabeth, was my first real intentional Dharma sister. Um, uh, after that, there was a whole series of um, the the connection to other people started to grow over time. Uh, Gil asked if I would be willing to manage on Monday nights. And so I started to meet um, attendees as they came in. I started to meet uh, other volunteers. And I also got to meet a lot of the guest teachers. Uh, We didn't have... Uh, online bios at that time. There wasn't much online. So Gil said, well, why don't you just talk to the guest teacher for one minute before the sitting starts and then introduce them based on that one-minute interview that you've had 45 minutes earlier. <laughs> My memory was better then. Now I have to, now I have to rely on the uh, cheat sheets. But uh, I got a chance to, you know, through volunteering, I got a chance to um, interact with a lot of the teachers. Um, I was invited to be on the board for uh, one uh, term. Uh, I was invited to be to start this group called Dharma Friends, which um, 
Anne and I first met, I don't know, 22 years ago. And that was to create social environments for us to be able to, to talk to each other about the Dharma um, during hikes, after movies, uh, bowling, uh, a book group. What else? And then I did a lot of day-longs, um, day-long retreats and classes and got to meet people that way. And I also started going on long retreats, on you know, seven-day retreats, ten-day retreats, two-week retreats. And even though I wasn't talking to people on the retreats, there was some way in which I felt an intimacy and a connection with people just watching them sit and walk and sit and walk and eat and sit and walk. You know, just that, that, that very simple process of, um, of a meditation retreat. Um, I found feeling close to other people, feeling um, inspired by their dedication. And after the second retreat that I was on, I was invited to join this group called a um, Kalyanamita group. It was that's sometimes um, translated as uh, spiritual friends or noble friends, beautiful friends, people who had similar intention, you know, who desired to be skilled in goodness and know the path of peace. The Kalyanamita groups um, were, were incredibly important for my practice since, since I first started in, uh, in doing those in about the year 2000. Um, we would sit together, we would eat together, and the talking in the first group I was in was very structured. You know, it was one person would talk and everyone else would just listen. So there was no asking questions or offering advice or um, telling stories. There was just one person was allowed to just let whatever it was that wanted to show itself come out. Whatever, you know, whatever um, you felt moved to say, you could say. And everyone else just listened as, um, as fully and as non-judgmentally as possible. And I, at first I used to plan what I was going to say. You know, okay, well, what am I going to say now? And after a while I came to just trust that what was, I came to trust that I would, that something would come up, something would appear. So being the speaker both gave me a chance to articulate and verbalize what it was that I had been seeing in the meditation, or both 
during in the inner work and also in the relational work. And it so there was a a clarification and an amplification that came from being able to speak in a in a safe receptive environment. And then as the speaker, I mean as a listener, there was a way that I would hear things that other people were that were coming up for other people. And so that was very valuable. I was getting the, the benefit of their meditation and their practice as well. The listening was also a form of... Uh, the listening was a form of meditation. You know, notice, you know, like whenever the mind wandered off into, you know, a judgment about what this person was saying or uh, planning what I was going to say or, uh, you know, some other, some other wandering, I could just bring it, you know, just practice bringing it back to the person that was speaking. Just keep coming back, staying with them. So the Kalyanamitya groups, the the speaking and the listening have been, you know, kind of a supercharger for practice for me. Um, Another element of it was the modeling that these groups had, that that spiritual friends can have. You know, people modeling ethical life. People modeling compassion, um, insight, wisdom. It's it's a way that, um, yeah, it was a, that it's a it's a it's a gift. And then the fourth thing that came to my mind about spiritual friends is uh, just. Last month, I guess it was, I, I did a, a two-day um, retreat on diversity led by this man, Howard Ross. And he had written a book about our search for belonging. You know, this human, deep human need to, to belong. And I think we all look for that belonging in some way or another. And what I found, I belong to a lot of different groups and formal and informal groups over the years. And I can't help but sort of take on some of the characteristics of the people in the groups that I've been in. So when I've been with groups of drinkers, you know, there's a certain uh, looseness that I would take on. So belonging to a group of spiritual friends, I found that quite naturally I started taking on some of the qualities that those people have. And so that was another valuable um, resultant of, of spiritual friendship. Even preparing this talk over the last week, I've had dinner with a friend to talk about this. I've I've had a 
men's group that I've that I'm part of um, that I could ask questions of and and ask for input on um, this informal group that meets um, Sundays sometimes after the sitting and some of the groups you know they form they last for a while and then they disappear so it's not like the spiritual friendships and groups are I'd say they're they're more of a process there's people coming in there's people going out um, I mean if I look around the room I think there's only two people I know from 22 years ago um, but many many more that I've that I've met and sat with and uh, feel supported by. And so I'd like to encourage you all to, to examine uh, this, this, uh, this area of friendship, of spiritual friendship. IMC has actually I, I didn't know till after I decided to talk about this that there's a four week class going on right now about spiritual friendship on Wednesday afternoons. And it's being recorded so you can listen to it if you like. But I also didn't just want to talk about this. I wanted to offer you all an opportunity to explore a little bit with each other this um, area of connection with other practitioners. So, first of all, it's optional. You don't have to participate if you don't, like, if you don't want. You can sit quietly. Uh, I would ask that you stay to just work with, with what I'm going to present on your own. If you do want to participate, then I'd like to ask you to find two other people that are sitting close to you. So we'd like, I'd like you to form into groups of, of three people. Um, and hopefully that'll be easy. If, if you can't find anybody, try moving towards the front of the room and um, we'll have everybody that's, that's not in groups uh, find somebody that way so so I think So, would, so is everybody 
that wants to participate in a group of three? Or, okay. Well, would you like to come and talk to me? Okay. So, what we're going to do is each person is going to get about two minutes to talk, and I'll describe what it is that I'd like you to talk about. And I'd like the person who's sitting closest to me to start. So figure out who that is. And then you're, you're all going to get a chance to talk. So uh, it's not so important, but just decide who's going who's gonna to speak first. And then after two minutes, I'll ring the bell. And then we'll move counterclockwise around. Or clockwise, did I say? Yeah. All right. Okay, and so what I'd like you to talk to the other two people, or what I'd like you to talk about for the two minutes is what are you looking for in spiritual friendship? That, that's assuming you're looking for spiritual friendship. <laughs> Your answer might, but even if you're not, just make up. <laughs> what, what is it that you're looking for in spiritual friendship? So I'll, I'll ring the bell and uh, the, the person closest to me or whoever you've decided to start um, will start. And then after two minutes, I'll ring the bell and, and you can move to the next person. Okay? One more question. Yeah. After we've been set up, do we get to say anything else? Or are we done? Well, after that, we're going to um, let everyone share. Everyone who wants to can share what is it that was evoked from doing this. Okay? <laughs> All right. All right, so uh, so what are you looking for in spiritual friendship? Yeah. Are you going to go first? Or you want me to? Why don't you go first? Um, my name's Kristen. And, uh, Kristen? Kristen, yeah. Okay. But um, we still have a few minutes, and what I'd like would be if there were maybe a few people that were willing to share. What What did you get out of that? What What came up? Or it doesn't have to be any long exposition, but just you know something about um, uh, you know just being willing to share with the group. Is there anybody that? would like to uh, have something to offer? I made two friends. Ah, great. Okay. Uh, anyone else? Yeah. 
Trudy. Well, I, I was just saying that when I first came here, I didn't think um, that it was an opportunity for friendship. I I came and maybe nodded and smiled and then left. But the more we do these groups, the more I feel connected to people. And uh, like was said, you know, he just made two friends. Uh, I, I came with one and now I have another. <laughs> so they're multiplying and it's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Trudy. Or we, some people have hearing-assisted devices. Um, well, it's usually so hard to have uh, genuine conversations with folks, so this was a really nice shortcut to that. <laughs> Great, thank you. Um, I think two weekends or three weekends ago, um, Gil asked us to share in the end of a talk as well. And I find these to be um, really nice. So like he said, we made friends tonight. And three weeks ago, I made a friend out of Gil asking us to share, and I shared with women next to me. And we're now like really good friends (laughs) after three weeks. So um, I really enjoy this um, these exchanges. Thank you. So I haven't been coming here well, off and on for just a few years, and um, I, it's never happened when I've been here. Maybe it happens more often, the sharing, but um, I think it should happen far more often. Um, when I come here, I'm an introvert. And when I come here, I just pretty much get up and leave when it's over. And it's just sort of hard for me to mingle. Um, But this is wonderful. Mm -hmm. I really like this. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, So I noticed that uh, even though the three of us are probably very different people and have very different lives, when we went around the circle, all of us said basically the same things we wanted in a spiritual friendship. So that was really interesting to hear that uh, there's some common basic things we all want from people. Uh, great. Thank you. And uh, Anne? Well, this is a plug for the book group. It's an opportunity to get together with people. Um, we meet only only once a month. It's the third Friday at, what time do we meet? Seven, right? Yeah, seven to 8.30. And we work really slowly through Buddhist books. So we get like 25 pages each, each session and an hour and a half. So that tells you how much we're just using the book as a springboard to talk about Buddhist-type stuff, and be supportive with each other. So it's hard to deal with this uh, traffic on Friday, but you might want to consider it. We're a really small group, five or six people, and you can come and go depending on the book. And there's flyers over on the table about it. So this ends this advertisement for spiritual friends. (laughs) 
That's right. Well, thank you. Um, I'll end. There's there's a saying. There was a, in the Buddha Suttas, one of the Buddha's disciples, Ananda, had asked the Buddha whether he thought that spiritual friendship was half of the spiritual life. And he said, no, it's not. It's the whole of the spiritual life. So the Buddha emphasized just how important these um, connections with each other are. And I think that one of the most important parts of this or lessons that I've learned is learning to connect. Uh, connecting with oneself and connecting with others. Um, and doing it in a way that's authentic and honest and beneficial. Um, and I think the only way to learn how to do that is to do it. <laughs> and be willing to you know, have wonderful experiences and willing to have ones that uh, aren't so wonderful. But that's, that's the way uh, life goes and we learn. So thank you all for coming tonight.